Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the podcast that takes a lighthearted look at lesser known London stories with your own personal blue badge professional tourist guides. She's Fiona. And she's Alex. And this is the Ladies in London podcast. So, where were we? Well, we were talking about... (laughs) Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Ladies in London podcast. It's been a little while. Um, Yeah, Yeah. we're back. We're back. Hooray! Sorry for just basically disappearing out of nowhere um, a couple of months ago. It, It all got a bit much, didn't it? It did. And it got... I think it was probably a sort of... It was a it was a Tuesday, maybe sort of mid afternoon, and we were trying to work out when we might manage to coordinate a time that we could record and things. And then we were just, um, I think we just panicked. Yes, I think actually, I think Alex, you said you could, you said, oh, we could just not, and I was like, oh, are we allowed? Are we allowed to miss a week? Could we just do that? <laughs> We make the rules. We were going to miss a month, and then we missed two months. But anyway, then, yeah, uh, for for very good reason. I, uh, yeah, obviously uh, it was peak season, and Fiona was just rushed to her feet. And as you know, Fiona's moving and getting things done, and I was going through chemotherapy, and it suddenly got a lot worse than it had been, and it just became too much. Um, but on that note, now you'll not move back into your house. Not quite. No. Um. The end. You know, the the end of the tunnel is possibly in sight. Hopefully That's now, good. soon ish. Um, yeah that's good and from my side um, I finished treatment a bit earlier than planned it was supposed to go through to November but the side effects were so much that the oncologist said I think we're, we're good we're good there and I had my scans last week and got the all clear from cancer just a couple of days ago so I'm in remission I'm thrilled uh, there's a lot of mixed emotions actually anyone who's been through it will know there's a, I think it's a lot of fun, quite normal to have a lot of mixed emotions at the end Um but for the time being, I am I am all good. I'm still incredibly tired, so I'm not guiding that much. But I am here and starting to do things and uh, back to the podcast, which is the most important thing. So there yeah. we go. Hooray! So what have you been up to in, in the time that I've been on? I've basically not really left my sofa or my bed, um, so I haven't got anything to tell. But what about you? Oh, well, we've... Um... Had a, a couple of trips to Wales, a couple of weekends in Wales. Nice. Very nice. Um, just this last weekend, which was the just as the nice weather was starting. Um, now I see, I sorry, the, the, there's a strange thing. So with this new system we're trying, we've got cameras <laughs> as well. But if... If like the connection goes, then people freeze. That's fair enough from from Zoom. We all know that. But I think what this system does is when you restart, it doesn't just start where you are. It kind of fast forwards through the bit that you've missed. Oh, so what I've just seen is Alex go in a sort of fast forward. I'm like, why? <laughs> no, no, that's that's exactly what I was doing. I was doing that, like some kind of errant muppet. But um, yeah. Also, you're really letting everyone behind the behind, behind the, the scenes. Here. Yes. Yes. Our professionalism well, hasn't grown any since we were 
since no, we, I mean, yeah, we my... say we were ready for two months on a on a professionalism course. No, we weren't. No, no not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't be silly. In that case, we should be on for a refund. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Podcasters, you can also apply for a refund <laughs> uh, via our website, uh, where we will laugh at you. Um, yeah, so a uh, couple of trips to Wales and and busy guiding, I guess. And You've busy, been... busy guiding and busy bonkers season. To, you know, people always say doing building works is very stressful and yeah. i mean it's a privileged stress i'm very happy to have a house and yeah. you know someone to stay in the meantime and i'm very aware that um you know it, it, it's a it's a, a good position to be in um but oh my god builders <laughs> good who are lovely folk but they're lovely sometimes folk, but a challenge they're not you know i'm sure any you know they'll always be some sort of issue perhaps but our guys are so incompetent that they do things and then and you go back and go no this is that's not right and and they'll sort of start to argue and then they'll come and look at it and go oh oh yeah no that's not right no we shouldn't have done it like that no no we'll do it again so in a sense they're so bad that we don't really have to argue with them to make things better because they're obviously (laughs) not point it out (laughs) yeah somebody at one point um they were doing some plastering and they managed to plaster over over sort of over the front of the electricity meter so not only oh, could you not reach the screws to move the meter which we were hoping they would do first but also you couldn't actually read the meter well that's fine that means you get free electricity i think that's how that works isn't it yeah um, yeah I'm, i mean i could try arguing that with the yeah. so yeah it's it's been a fun summer um and balancing that oh, with my goodness with a you know it's been a really busy summer for guiding which it's been is, a bonkers is good, year but... even even me not guiding um i've got obviously got my business that i um i've been sort of vaguely trying to keep up with um yeah it's been it's been crazy just the number of people um coming to london and, and needing guys which is which is fantastic yes um absolutely. but it does increase the stress levels quite considerably when people come in very last minute and say can we get someone for tomorrow oh, i don't know can we no probably not ah, terrifying yeah. Anyway, anyway, we should probably press on with the podcast, given that we're here. Now, a bit of news from us is that we're easing back into this slowly. So we're going to do every two weeks yeah. for a little while. And then hopefully in the fullness of time when um, I'm a little bit less fatigued and Fiona's a little bit less stressed with the build, we will come back weekly. Um, so not too long for that, but hopefully uh, every two weeks we'll keep keep you going for a little while. And the first one this week is actually one that Fiona did without me when I was in the midst of chemo and basically couldn't get out of bed. Um, so who is it that you were chatting to, Fiona? I haven't even heard this at all yet. No. Um, so uh, it's, it's a lady called Midge, Midge Gillis. Um, mm-hmm. And I think actually I introduce her kind of, it's it, it, it should make sense, coherent sense um, from our chat. So maybe we should just dive in. Coherent from us? This. Are you sure? Half, half. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, you know that thing. It's 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 never nice when you listen back because actually we re- recorded it with Midge quite a while ago. Um, I've gone back and listened to it recently, and I was like, oh dear, I'm you know it's horrible listening to yourself. Uh, always, <laughs> I'm used to it now. Um, so yeah, um, but yeah, I I think I think at the beginning I kind of uh, explain what we're talking about. So I All think right. we should just dive in. Amazing. Let's go. I'm here with Midge Gillis, who has written a fantastic book. I'm just going to check the title, Piccadilly, a circus at the heart of London. So all about Piccadilly Circus. That's right. Um, 
Yeah, and and I, I noticed that you the, the books you've written previously have been much more based around people. Yes, so um, I've written a biography of Amy Johnson, who I know you've done a programme on, and yeah. Marie with the musical performer. Um, but actually, th this is all about people too. And I suppose what I was aiming to do was to write a, a biography of a place, yeah. um, using the buildings in a sense to kind of bring those stories of hopefully ordinary people because they're the people I'm more interested in and uh, but extraordinary people but not kind of too many kings and queens and politicians those kinds yeah, of people. Yeah absolutely well that's what I was sort of wondering what what prompted you was it your idea to write it or? Well <laughs> so I originally wanted to write solely about the Café de Prix and yeah. um, which was a, a famous nightclub in Coventry Street and um, had this uh, extraordinary bombing in the Blitz. Um, yeah. I wanted to write, believe it or not, a whole book about that night because I thought it was extraordinary um, who was there, who um, through chance uh, escaped the bombing, who said they were where, there but weren't and all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and so uh, my editor was interested in that, but said, actually, I'd like you to write that about the whole of Piccadilly Circus. Um, which I thought that's a really good idea. And she said, you can still have the Café de Paris in there as well. Yeah. Um, and it kind of tied in with my background because my mum was from Ballam and she was uh -huh. talking about Piccadilly Circus in a kind of um, very warm, nostalgic way and uh, kind of hinting that it was had been a really special place for her and her sister. Um, oh, okay. going to the Lions Tea Shop and, and Corner House. Um, and I remember she took me uh, to Lily White to buy my first pair of hockey boots. Yeah. Even though we lived in East Anglia and there are sports shops in East Anglia, but yeah. we had to go to Piccadilly Circus. Um, and I remember coming out of the tube and just being blown away by the atmosphere and the amazing buildings. And I still feel like that today. I think it's yeah. a really special place. Um, and I have to really stop myself going, oh, you know, because it <laughs> takes your breath away, doesn't it? When you come up from underground. Yeah, absolutely. I think there are certain tube stations that you come out of and it's just like, boom, there you are. This yeah. is London kind of yeah. straight away. Definitely. Yeah. Well, that, that makes perfect sense what you said about the people in a way, because it is, um, uh, you know, we, we tend to on this pod look for the sort of slightly off the beaten track, you know, the, and uh, when I first thought, oh, Piccadilly, I thought, was well, that? Is that like a bit sort of, you know, glaringly obvious in the middle of London and things? But actually, you know, th there's stories to be told everywhere and there's stories mm. that people won't know. And yeah, absolutely. The the book is is a collection of of quite intimate, you know, sort of vignettes of little yeah. of, of scenes that have happened there. Yes. So, yeah. Um, so most of our listeners know London, I think well and things yeah. but there may be some who are less familiar with it so I think we should probably just um say you know well Piccadilly where would you how would you sum it up in yes um well it's it's been in the past uh been described as the, the um the third um pole um that the hub of London the beating heart of London um and I think they're all really good descriptions because it's a really unusual intersection of different roads and I think for me it's so interesting because it's kind of on the edge of different very distinct parts of London yeah kind of liminal so if you think um, I always think of it as a kind of roulette wheel partly because I think you can arrive and something be thrown out in a different direction and there's yeah. lots of luck in who you encounter and what happens to you but if you think of it as a circle so you might come down Regent Street with all the kind of bustling shopping that goes on there and the kind of beautiful buildings there and then if you go around kind of clockwise you um 
if you took off from any point there, you would go to Soho. And obviously Soho's changed a lot um, in the last hundred years. And then kind of Theatreland and the bright lights there. And then uh, Leicester Square uh, film, Trafalgar yeah. Square. You've got the sense of kind of in Trafalgar Square protest and celebration. And then yeah. Piccadilly itself, which is uh, a bit more hushed with the clubs and a bit more sedate. Um, so it's really at the hub of lots of really disparate places, each of which yeah. has their own atmosphere, but comes together at Piccadilly Circus. That's something I hadn't really sort of thought about it before, but reading your book, I kind of was like, oh, of course. And that, you know, I when I'm guiding, I tend to describe it as the heart of the West End, and like mm -hmm. the entertainment area, but the, the proximity of, of sort of, yeah, St. James's and Clubland. And then, you know, it, it's only a short step from there to, to the politicians of, Whitehall yes. or indeed you know the politicians who are doing deals in the clubs and things so that yeah I always think the the the, the border spaces are the interesting spaces the kind yeah. of land and yes. so Piccadilly Circus is such a hub in its own right it is that border territory between all yes yeah and um, I think so. yeah, you get people unexpected people there as well so there was a story that um, when the current king was born, um, mm -hmm. his uh, doctor had to go to Boots in Piccadilly Circus to buy a thermometer. And you think, what, what's the king's or the queen's doctor doing yeah. in Piccadilly Circus? So it's kind of odd to think of the people who passed through there and had strange encounters. And and later unexpected encounters mm. a lot of the time. Yeah. And you do get a sense of of the crowds. You know, there's there's various points in the book where you talk about kind of big events and mm. you know almost like national occasions how yeah. how they played out in Piccadilly Circus but um you do get a sense of, of the people swirling through mm. kind of um Piccadilly Circus constantly and um, and particularly sort of stopping on the pavements to look at things and quite early on you have this fantastic story about I, I don't want I also don't want to give the give the game <laughs> away but like um a, a special event in the windows of Swan and Edgar oh school. yes well yeah, well can we talk about this because I, I there's something I came across and I'd never heard of it um you're talking about Frozo are you yes Frozo yes yeah so this is um something I came across in uh the stage which it said a hundred years ago Frozo was performing in the window of Swan and Edgar the department store um and Frozo no one quite knew what he was so he's a musical turn and he was described as a man doll and people didn't know whether he was really a human or if he was an automaton and his um, act was that on stage he would um, sit there and uh, challenge people to come and make him move and he had a very kind of <laughs> stiff way of sitting and moving and people would come up and kind of stab cigarette butts into him and pins and and he wouldn't flinch and uh, had yeah. on his face um and then he did a stunt in the window um, of Swan and Edgar, um, just sitting there, and people had to come and try and make him move. And it sounds terrifying because they were getting closer and closer to the window. The police were called in. Um, they were trying to they were banging on the window. Uh, and then suddenly the, the shutters came down twice. Um, and yeah. then he, he escaped without them noticing and got on a bus and went home. Um, I, I was desperate to see a picture of him and in the end the British Musical Society who were wonderful and have a wonderful archive found one for me and he does indeed look like an incredible figure yeah um, and of course he's the kind of forerunner of um, the living statues which didn't occur to me when I was writing it but that's what we yes. have to say. I mean people don't run up and stick cigar butts into them but <laughs> it's the same kind of conceit isn't it you know that they won't move and they yeah. look the statue so no I was I was really intrigued by him and it, it 
you know, at the same sort of time, you do have um, kind of magicians doing acts which are possibly automata or possibly, again, somebody hiding under the table doing the thing. And I love that sort of blurring of the uncertainty yeah. of what, what yeah. was going on. And, and he was such a showman. So he was taken to court for causing a disturbance. And even then he was kind of saying to the judge, so do you think, what do you think I am? I, I bet you so much. And, just, <laughs> and you can see that the representatives from, from Swan and Edgar thinking, no, just be quiet. Let's get through this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Swan and Edgar themselves, a big presence in Piccadilly Circus over the years. Yes, definitely. And I think it was the, the idea that you could be swept up from the underground into their arms. And, you know, uh, there would be the, um, the, the the new shop girls working in there. And it was really the, the birth of the, the retail um, industry. And, and the fact that you had better tube connections and train connections meant that people were coming from further afield to get their fancy clothes and, and shopping became a thing. Window shopping became a thing as well because of the great big plate glass windows that we kind of take for granted today, but were only possible because of technological advances. Yeah, yeah. So Swan and Edgar were between Piccadilly and Regent Street. That yes, that's right. So the, the the frontage is still there. It's kind of you know like a, a beautiful kind of wedding cake white. Yeah. Um, and uh, yes, it's, it's I've still come across people who say, oh yes, I used to meet my boyfriend in the cafe there, and so you know yeah. people still feel quite fondly about it. But I think it was it was quite a, well in some ways it was a paternalistic, paternalistic place to work, but also you work really hard. Mm. Um, and Somerset Maughan writes about the, the shop uh, walker who was there and he used to just go go back to the hostel where he worked and put his feet in a bowl of water because it was such hard work. So, you know, it sounds lovely and glamorous, but the reality is that retail work is hard. Was was really, yeah. And I think, we, you know, we probably forget like the hours that they used yes. to work as standard things. And I, I guess um, because shop workers, it was like when when becoming a shop girl was started to be a possibility it, it one of your other alternatives would be working in service as a maid or whatever so it probably was on a par in terms of yes so yeah but in some ways it would have been um preferable but there were still things that you in many places you'd have to buy your own uniform really long hours you know eventually the legislation improved that not brilliant pay um, and often you were on commission so you know really tough um, yeah. but perhaps one step up from being in service perhaps maybe the, the hours weren't quite as long and yeah. you had perhaps had a bit more um, kudos working in a shop rather than mm -hmm. being a, you know behind stairs um, servant yeah, and and a, a little bit more kind of independence. In yes, but yes, um, but they they had accommodation for their staff. Yes, so yeah. Swan and Edgar did, um, and were quite paternalistic, and they had a really good um sports facilities that you could be a part of as well, um, and. You know, some parents thought that was good. Others were still a bit nervous about their daughter living away from home. Yeah. But it did save on things like travel. And uh, it must have been, you know, quite fun, perhaps, you know, dormitory type um, atmosphere, being with other young people as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then and then you get this kind of era that, you know, the early 1900s when um, the kind of the suffragette movement is getting going and you have there's the the suffragettes campaigning and notably one campaign was smashing the shop windows mm. and yeah. then you have you know that the, the the young shop girls were or, you know youngish I was assume I suppose maybe not but working in the shops and then also the customers of the shop 
and that sort of interesting balancing act. Yeah, it, it doesn't in a way seem to make sense because um, you could go and buy your your underwear in, in suffragette colours in Swan and Edgar and you could buy an outfit for um, a suffragette um, march, but at the same time their windows were smashed because um, it was thought they weren't doing enough to... Um, uh, talk about votes for women but at the same time they were advertising in the suffragettes publication as well so it's a, a kind of really uneasy relationship which I can kind of think is fascinating so the, yeah. the some of those women who were smashing the windows would have been shopping there as well yeah. um so I mean I suppose it's a bit like an early form of direct action isn't it really one option would be to say let's boycott these shops which they didn't do no uh, but I guess you know the windows is a much more visual um, yes, um, amazing. And the descriptions of it at the time are very vivid. And there were lots of um, drawings in the sketch of um, women going along and producing hammers from their Dorothy bags and smashing the windows and <laughs> uh, people walking along the streets and um, walking on the crackle of broken glass and, you yeah. know, the lighting being smashed and other shopkeepers coming out and trying to drag the the um, protesters inside so I, it must have been quite thrilling really to think you know women were prepared to do that um, and people as they do today are ambivalent about whether protest is proper it would have been even more extreme then there were two um, protesters who were locked in the lift at um, the Lions Corner House with people pelting them with bread rolls which could be worse but <laughs> it can't have been very nice to think you know no. how am I going this yeah and if you're if you're surrounded and mm. I mean I suppose actually the windows as well you just you know we take them for granted nowadays plate glass windows but they were relatively new then so they mm. must have been a good like target yes because, in there, because they were sort of new and big and sparkly then yeah. they, they became an obvious target I guess yes and also it's quite a clever target if you think about it because after that respectable shoppers were nervous about getting too close to the window to look at the goods in case they were mistaken for protesters. Ah. So actually, it had quite an impact on how yeah. people were shopping and, you know, potentially quite a long-term damaging effect. And so do we know how much, like, whether, you know, the bosses of Swan and Edgar and the other department stores and things, did they kind of support the suffragette cause? And, I mean, I think I think Selfridge did. Yeah. So yeah, no, the windows think... weren't... Yeah, he was he was quite canny about that, um, yeah. and uh, um, Swan and Edgar didn't quite achieve it to the the same extent. I think maybe because they were in a central position and they were always going to be more of a target. I think really, yeah. um, so uh, they kind of um, took them to court, and and uh, several women were put in prison and force fed as a result of that protest. And then eventually, of course, the First World War started, so the protest declined. But it yeah. was. Um, a, a very kind of visual protest um, that I think could have been very damaging to shopping generally if it had continued. Yeah, and I, I love what you you said at one point that also it changed the fashions because women didn't want to carry big bags that could then look like they had a hammer inside. Yeah. Yes, so. which is and and that's the kind of um, and there's a, another bit I didn't put in the shop about um, one of the well-to-do um, protesters going into um, a hardware store and buying twenty hammers and she didn't look like the most obvious person to you who did a lot of DIY so yeah. I that was mentioned by the shopkeeper who realized something was up something quite okay. sinister. did they he, he did sell them though yes yes, yes. I mean you yes. can't okay. say madam why do you want so many hammers can you no. really no of course not <laughs> 
but then also in terms of um you know women working and things it's it feels like it's um piccadilly there they used to be the flower sellers who clustered yeah. around eros yeah. and things so it's be, always been an area where there's been a sort of female presence on the streets in a yeah, way yeah i think the flower sellers are really interesting, the flower girls, because very rarely are they girls. If you look at them, they're quite matronly and they each had their patch and they kind of really protected their patch and uh, were quite fierce. And if you look at various depictions of them in paintings, um, sometimes they're kind of seen as being quite um, almost erotic, actually. And the kind of connection with flowers is, is freighted with um, sexuality and they're literally on the streets working, they're interfacing with men. So it's quite a transgressive thing to do. Yeah. Um, and I love the way that they um, had their great baskets of flowers and they could tie them onto almost like pikes and pass them up to the men sitting on the top of the buses. So they're yeah. kind of crossing lots of different worlds, which is is fascinating as well. Um, and then when the Shaftesbury Memorial um, was put in place, there was a lot of concern about the flower girls getting soaked with the water and all sorts of things. So they were, I think people felt quite kind of warmly towards them, but they also represented danger again, as so many things do in Piccadilly Circus. Yeah. And then other other professional women working in the streets as well you know it's it's always been an area with a bit of reputation yeah I yes guess for, you know for sex workers and yes yeah um and uh yes of of um, both men and women and uh, again there's there's a sense that um at certain points in history people would kind of drift in and out of um sex work it wasn't something that maybe you did for all your life and that was particularly true in the first world war and there were again campaigners who would go around and kind of shine torches in the faces of um often quite innocent women but you know just to kind of remind them that they yeah. were being watched um, and then in the Second World War, the um, American soldiers were particularly worried, or the, their commanders were, about um, the freedom with which um, sex workers were treated and the rise in uh, VD too. Um, yeah. The prostitutes were known as Piccadilly Commandos. And <laughs> there's, a, there's a story of um, how the really um, experienced ones got very adept at um finding the the, the um, insignia of, on their customers' uniforms so they knew whether they were dealing with an ordinary soldier or a, um, a sergeant or an officer and they could adjust their rates accordingly. Charge. So, that, yes. they were, yeah, they were quite good entrepreneurs. Yes. And I, I did like uh, yeah, the comment from, from a, a vicar, I think, who maybe who was confused as to why the American soldiers kept wearing their greatcoats in summer. Yes, yes. But actually, but a greatcoat. Can it can cover all host of possibilities yes you know, yes it can and, and um lead to yes as you say lots of possibilities um and yes he was completely baffled by that had no idea what was going on on underneath that great coat yes hmm. um which i guess brings us on to why why there might be particularly lots of american soldiers near piccadilly circus which hmm. was the the establishment of the uh rainbow corner and i mm -hmm. i reading a book I discovered the the reason why it was called that I, I knew a bit about it before but I never knew where the name came from yes um, yes so um yeah when I was talking to friends when I was writing it they said so so was it a gay club and I said no 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 it's a yeah. different kind of rainbow so it's the idea from the first world war of, of gathering troops from the whole rainbow the whole spectrum of the states and there was um a platoon that was called that so the idea behind the the uh, red cross hostel or club was that it was open the whole time. Everyone was welcome. And indeed, they threw away 
the the key so it was never locked and when they had yeah. to close it they had to um make a new key to actually lock it finally um and it was this amazing um site where you could go as a, a gi and just uh ask you know the daftest questions like you know where can i see a castle where can i fish for salmon um what's a pavement all those things that would baffle a young um yeah. man coming to london for the first yeah. time um, and just have, again, amazing encounters. So um, Adele Astaire, who was Fred's sister, uh, yes. worked there. And yeah. uh, she would dance um, with the GIs. And they were couldn't quite believe that they were dancing with a film star. Um, and she and other women would help them write letters home, you know, for um, young men who weren't used to doing that kind of thing. There was yeah. a Where I, Am I room. So if you had become quite drunk you could sleep it off there and it was named that way because that was generally the first thing they said when they woke up the next morning um yes. how, how big how big was it do you know the way I'm like how many people could fit in it well they they said at the end so generally people didn't stay overnight yeah um but they said that they thought millions of people had passed through it so yeah. it was a tall building it's no longer there and had and went right to the top and they had boxing um matches there they had um uh Dunker's Den they had a kind of wake of donuts and and coke and Glenn Miller played there mm -hmm. and I spoke to Petula Clark who was a very young girl played there as well and said that she thinks she was so popular because you know as a little girl everyone was really missing their family um, yeah yeah so it was an, an incredible place where you know there was toing and frank must have been so exciting to be there yeah, yeah, and and I like the the sort of shift from at the beginning. You've got all the, the you know the GIs coming over, finding out what English like is life is like, or what you know where to go in London and all those kind of things. And then by the end, you've got people running classes for English women or British women who are going to go over to America as brides. Yes, yes. And, you know what, what to discover, what to expect in America. Yeah, the, and the, that the same equivalent ignorance, really. So the mm. the, the GI brides thinking that it was just going to be like uh, in the movies. So yeah. they'd have a, they'd live somewhere that had a swimming pool, and they weren't sure what fruit cocktail was, um, and they had no idea of what they were letting themselves into. Yeah. Which you know it must have been quite um, quite a thing to go to the states then. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's intriguing, actually, you mentioned pavements and one I was with a client earlier in the week and she mentioned pavements. And I, I didn't I didn't know that one. But she said when she was learning to drive, she was like, you have to, you must stay on the pavement. That makes no sense. Where, where yeah. Because in America, pavement is the road. Yes. It's, you know, yeah. the exact opposite as, yeah. as of ours. No, and time, but. I think they were really confused about um things not being wrapped, you know, buying a loaf of bread and it wasn't in a bag and they were baffled by rationing and all those kinds of things, I suppose, uh, we would take for granted. It was all so new and, you know, how yeah. little people travelled at that point as well. Yeah. The idea of summer so foreign. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also in terms of kind of, you know, uh, race relations in a way that, you know, that it seems like the black GIs were also welcome at the rainbow corner but maybe not absolutely wholeheartedly but you know yeah so um I, I think that um there were other clubs in Soho yeah. that were more welcoming um yeah. I've looked at lots of um there was a whole spread in the Illustrated London News of about Rainbow Corner and I couldn't see any GIs of colour in those illustrations but it was always said that it was completely welcoming um I'm not sure I quite believe that given yeah. the kind of 
the laws that were prevalent in the states at that time. And right at the end of the war, there was a race riot um, outside um, Rainbow Corners. So I, I think that's um, not the whole story. I think that there, there was discrimination um, yeah. and it'd be surprising if there weren't. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of um, British people were more welcoming to uh -huh. um, GIs. Um, and you see, I have seen lots of pictures in um, Picture Post of a white girl dancing with a black GI and, um, you know, they're having a great time. So there was more diversity in those Soho clubs than at the Rainbow Corner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've mentioned the Café de Paris already, and I don't, I, don't I, I didn't think we'd necessarily talk about it in detail here, but it is something that I talk about when I do mm -hmm. walks about the Blitz and things like that. And um, you've you've not only found some of the people who were there and then what happened to them and the sort of haphazardness mm -hmm. of, you know, where were they mm -hmm. sitting at the time and things, but actually also the way you describe it change, will change the way I, has changed the way I think about oh, it. That's in really interesting. In what way? Well, I think partly because I um, th there was there was a few people who were sort of killed, like with their their you know their lungs were punctured by the blast. Um, maybe maybe inevitably we will get drawn into talking about it. So uh, just to explain that there was the Cafe de Paris advertised itself as the safest dance hall in London because it was in the basement. Mm. But on this one particular night, a bomb manages to get, and it's it's not entirely clear. I had different reports of sort of how mm. it got but into the dance hall and then explodes. So it was a particularly violent kind of explosion. Yeah. And um, I tend to talk a bit about the, the, the couple who looked absolutely fine but had been killed, kind of, mm. that I, I think I've sort of, in my mind, I've, got rid of some of the the sort of the dub the rubble and the debris and, and the fact that there was glass on the walls and nice yeah. you know, enameled walls which then obviously was disastrous yeah. um yeah so there there was someone you quoted someone talking about the kind of the atmosphere of the room being like swimming through fog yes kind of, kind of cotton, yes exactly cotton wool and um the thing i suppose i was really shocked about was the um the looting so yeah. people lying there and um, feeling someone holding their wrist and thinking, oh, they're checking that my pulse, but actually they were uh, removing jewellery, which yeah. is maybe a side of the blitz that we don't hear about. That's, um, you know, the, the worst of human spirit coming out there. But equally, you know, um, soldiers carrying people up and one woman was laid on the, the hot plate and he, he dealt with her arm with a spoon and nurses um, using champagne and soda siphons to, to um, dress wounds. So I think yeah. it's an extraordinary story, really. Um, and sadly, I've never been to the Café de Prix because I wrote this book during lockdown. Ah, and yes. my husband said, you must go to the Café de Prix. And I said, what could possibly stop me going to the Café de Prix? And a um, pandemic stopped me going. And of yes. course, it's no longer the Café de Prix. No, I mean it's still it's still there, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's, just, it's still a nightclub, yeah. but, but yeah. Uh, it's changed its name. Um, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, I'm not sure that I've ever have been you not? inside either. No, I don't yeah. think I have. Hmm. I mean, in a way, I feel I don't need to because I've read so much about it and seen so many photos. Um, and in a way, that's the best way to um, trigger your imagination, isn't it? Because it will be so changed from how it was in the Second World War. Yes, and if it is more now nightclub rather than kind of dance hall now, then that yeah. you know, that will be a quite different experience. Yes, yeah. it, in yeah. a way. Um, yeah, but so I, I want to say thank you for 
for writing that chapter oh, because that's good. I, and, well, you know, and, and interesting to hear that that was the bit that kind of kickstarted yeah. the whole. I yeah, it's, um, well, I, it sounds uh, kind of a bit grisly, but I really enjoyed writing it because it's such a, you know, it is such a thrilling episode. Yeah. And um, it it was a pleasure to write because it's got so much drama in it and it's terribly poignant. And that element of chance, which I think we can all relate to, you know, what yeah. stops you getting on a plane or a train that then crashes and um, yes. Or, or whether you go and powder your nose at just the right moment. Yeah, you know, exactly. Or, or, yes, or, you know, decide for some reason that tonight is not going to be the night you, you go to the Café de Paris or you can't get in. Yeah. Um, and to think about how that's changed your life. And like you said, so many people have, who have since said, I was there that night. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they said, have all been there. No, that's a great story. Um, one of the wait, waiters saying, yeah, another person had come up and said, I was there that night. And he said... We couldn't have, uh, you know, the place could not have hold the thousands of people. Who yeah. said that <laughs> Stay right there. We'll be back. Back to the podcast. Um, so one of the sort of moments that you talk about is, you know, one of the things that happened in London in the Second World War was blackout. And one of the things we associate most about Piccadilly Circus is the bright lights. It is the you know yeah. the Times Square of London. So yeah. you say, and it's kind of obvious that that was the place that people wanted to see the blackout. And I'd never thought, I must admit, I, I'd never thought the blackout started at a particular time. I sort of thought, okay, now we'll now we'll do blackout, and then just gradually. Yes. You know. yeah. But I guess I mean obviously they had to go right. This is the time. Yes, because uh, people wouldn't have um, stuck they, to it with them. No. There was a, the dim out before that, and then it must have been tr such a transformation as well, um, losing those bright lights. And um, yes, the, you know, things like luminous buttons and um, finding your way, your way around with the, the, the paint on the, the pavements. It, it must have just transformed London, as you know, and, um, you know, the, the white lines around trees and um, the way that everything was preparing for an invasion uh, for quite a long time as well, which we, we tend to forget. Absolutely. And also, you know, in the sort of the places like Kensington things where you've got lots of houses with basements, they took away the railings, you like yes. out and no railings and a yeah. big drop beside the pavement. I mean, yes. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and um, yeah, and I, I like the way that in the war, uh, things literally go underground as well. So, as you know, the underground being a, a place of safety and particularly um, uh, Piccadilly Circus because of its depth. And um, it, it, I came across a, a wonderful photo that's in the book of the Store Brothers, who were a musical um, uh, oh, yeah. brothers who, and they're doing kind of this amazing acrobatic show right near the platform. And you think... Yes. That looks really dangerous. Yeah. Um, maybe and... maybe the trains weren't running by then. Maybe it was late enough in the evening. Yes. But even so, if you fell into the pit, it can't, it wouldn't have been fun, would it? No. Um, um, and then I love the fact that th there was a lot of art stored in the tube as well, which they wouldn't have known about. So the idea yeah. that you've got ordinary people bedding down and kids um, and then not so far away in other tunnels, you've got this, uh, you know, um, the Britain's treasures being stored or you know in the art gallery worrying about the humanity and um what's going to happen to them so it's a really strange world yeah 
absolutely and it's kind of like above above ground the the dark corners get darker and yes. you know the streets get shadier and you know all manner of you know whatever like you were saying sort of crime and things kind of blossom perhaps but then actually mm. also we we hunker down even more yes. down into the underground mm. and um inevitably i i'd like to chat about charles holden because uh you know in amongst frank alongside frank Pe I, yeah. I do a walk about the underground and things and right. so um you know holden designs the underground station that kind of unites the different lines that were there already mm. um but what I hadn't realised was that it was dug out and like all of the earth they excavated came up through where Eros used to be. I mean, where yeah. he wasn't yeah. there at that moment. Yes, but it sounds so dangerous. You know, and there was actually an explosion. Um, and there's an account in the Times of <laughs> a lady walking by and suddenly being lifted on the manhole that she's crossing. Um, and then an, an interview <laughs> with... Um, some of the workmen and they just sound so guilty because he without being prompted he said I wasn't smoking um, <laughs> so <you> think, mm. <laughs> um but uh, you, you know and the idea of health and safety was not even considered um and I love the idea of kind of going really into the the depths of London and coming across um ancient things from the past and really yeah. getting down into you know the it's um it's wonderful really to think of what was achieved in in such a cramped space as well yeah and if you think about if they sort of said nowadays okay we're going to close piccadilly circus all the roads for four years or whatever you know yeah yeah it would it, be just sort of unimaginable in a way that that yeah no i know but, i mean obviously we've got a lot more traffic um yeah um but it must have been completely chaotic, but then maybe just people went with it because everything was changing and, you know, um, underground stations were actually moving around. So yeah. you just think it's going to be somewhere different and um, Eros is moving around. So perhaps people, I'm, I'm sure people moaned about, you know, and, and maybe that's why meeting places were so important. So the, you know, meet me under the Guinness clock or um, yeah. on an anchor or on the steps of Eros or, um in the underground where you're you're waiting um for whoever you're meeting to kind of come up on the escalator which is always quite thrilling really looking for someone isn't it yes and that sort of oh like any moment they'll just glide into sight yes yes so so let's let's go right back because actually you start the book with a taxi uh three three gentlemen in a in a cab coming to visit piccadilly circus and one of them is uh alfred gilbert hmm. is the sculpture of eros so yes. Um, do you think, I mean, does Eros change the character of Piccadilly Circus? Does he sort of unite it and make it a kind of more well, of a place? Yes, I mean, I think he does. And um, I felt very sorry for Alfred Gilbert because I think it's a beautiful statue. But yeah. when it was created, there was so much opposition to it. So people didn't know whether it was Mercury or Hermes or Eros. Um, and um and actually and we, and we still don't really no do we? i mean you know lots of people will go well it's not eros of course it's yeah. the angel of christian charity or it's yeah 
Anteros, yeah. who's Eros's brother or whatever, yeah. but it's it's one of those ones like Big Ben. We all know it as Eros, whether yeah. whether that's what was intended or not. Yes, yes. So normally when I talk about it, I have to explain because I know someone will have been in a pub quiz and know the, that it's not really yeah. Eros, but we all know it as Eros. Um, you know, and they they said his wings are on upside down, he's not aerodynamic. Um, and you know, it's very shocking that we should have a, a beautiful, scantily clad young boy representing Lord Shaftesbury, who was this amazing Victorian social um, uh, reformer who I remember from school as the person who stopped children going up chimneys for work. Yes, and, and um, down mines a bit Oh, as yes, well. that as well, yeah. yes. So, so yeah. you know, beyond reproach, but here he is being um, remembered by this um, slightly erotic um, statue and um, on a place which is known for assignations of the night. So yeah. it was... It was I, oh, Sorry, no. Sorry. Did, did he have connections with Shaftesbury Avenue? Why? I can't. I'm just realised I can't remember why the statue's well, there. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. So it was part of. So Shaftesbury Avenue, um, when it was built, was really kind of made Piccadilly Circus. To, yeah. Took it behind a, a, a straightforward crossroads almost, um, and so it was part of the um, memorial to Shaftesbury. So you yeah. get the the avenue and the statue too. Yeah. Okay. As well. Um, and you know, it went way over budget. Um, Gilbert thought that he was going to get. Um, cheap materials and he wasn't um people complained about the water fountains the strength of it they would the water was too weak or it's too strong the, yeah. the kids stole some of the the um cups and he in exasperation he um moved to brussels and was bankrupt he said the whole thing should be melted down and um given to the poor on um the funds given to the poor on the embankment oh. and i know and george bernard shaw said he should be drowned in the fountain. <laughs> so, you know, they're just awful, really. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, it, it does it does end up on the embankment for a bit, Eros. Yes. So yeah. and I and I've now forgotten, did it get taken away for safekeeping in the First World War? In both wars, and it's been yeah. taken away um for repairs, and it was also in a, it was the world's biggest snow dome at one point. Yes, I quite liked that. I thought that was a good solution of sort of <laughs> You know, protection, but but looking decorative. In a yeah, way. but it was quite seasonal. You yes. Have to say. yes, 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course, the the model who is um, who was the the original Eros um, Colorossi never grew beyond five feet. So he's a slightly tragic figure as well. And he kind of wanders through my book because they he was used to raise money in the Second World War and was a kind of um, an accountant's clerk which, you know, nothing wrong with being that, but he is also this god as well. Yeah. And when you see pictures of him in his tank top and his little um, <laughs> jacket, he looks, you think, is this the same person? Yes. I was going to say, I wonder if anyone would actually ever sort of recognise his face because Eros himself is quite small on top of the great big yes. basin and all the rest of it. So if you think about Eros, you either think of just the little bit at the top which is sort of the you know also on the evening standard kind of yeah top of the newspaper and things for a long time um or I think actually the whole the whole shape of the whole lot the little bit of eros and the big basin is is the sort of familiar silhouette yes um, yes yeah, so I wouldn't I've I've never sort of a bit like um justice on top of the old bailey none of us would know what justice is face no. like no that's very true and I think um we forget how tall the Eros Memorial is. So mm. if you get up close to it, you're absolutely right. You can't actually see the face. You're, yeah. And 
I, I've been there when uh, it was Scotland were playing England and there were some Scottish football fans climbing up and you just thought, stop, because this is so dangerous. And they did stop. They got as far as just touching Eros's foot. Okay. Um, and But in the past, people have kept going, you know, New yeah. Year's Eve revelers and actually sat on him and rocked backwards and forwards. And I think they would have died if they'd fallen. Yeah, yeah. And and he's quite, um, he's not very strong, is he, Eros? He's not no. bronze like other statues. He's aluminium. Aluminium, yes. Yeah. I just doubt about that for a moment. But yes, um, yeah. I wonder whether that makes us feel more protective of him. Yes, somehow, maybe because... that's because it, uh, he was said to be the first aluminium statue in the world. And he, he is quite fragile. Yeah. Um, wings particularly are very delicate. And I think it's just such a beautiful setting, particularly at night. So if you, you go there and it's obviously incredibly well lit now and you've got yeah. the white buildings, behind, well, depending on where you are, you've got the, the Criterion and, and Lily Whites and it's gleaming white. Um, and the base is so shiny black of Eros. And it's just, I just, it's like a stage set, really. Yeah, absolutely. And then also you can look down towards Parliament and you used to be able to tell if, if Parliament's still sitting because they, the, the Ayrton lamp used to be lit. Oh, of Big Ben When Parliament was sitting. And then I think they changed the rules so they just have it on in the evenings now. Oh. But it, I love the idea you could come out of the theatre and be strolling towards the tube at Piccadilly Circus, and you look down, and you go, "Oh yeah, MPs are still at work." Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> yes, and it kind of is, that's very uniting, isn't it? Really, to mm. think that the people who rule us is just down, are just down the road. Yeah, and if I ever think about people reading the early copies of the newspapers, like when you get them during the night for the next day, you know that it's Piccadilly Circus that I picture people doing that. Yeah, well, I, I remember doing that um, before you got news online and just, you know, you've maybe been out to the theatre and you turn up and and they, um, the news seller rips open the, the bundle with a knife and hands you something yeah. hot off the press, which is just so exciting, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And and it's also a place which has become iconic in, you know, films and books and it, it you know, it crops up so much. It's yes. one of those places that is a shorthand for London. Yes, exactly. Um, so um, a lot of Hitchcock films feature it in a, a big way. So, um, you know, uh, Blackmail and Sabotage and yeah. The Lodger, which is terrifying. Um, oh, yeah. Really great film. But um, yeah, he uses it to great effect. But also um, the Garfield film has Piccadilly Circus and some okay. of the, uh, one of the Harry Potter films has Piccadilly yeah. Circus. It's just they, almost like Big Ben, isn't it, really? Yeah. We're in London now. We're in the heart of London. And and you mentioned Lilywax right at the beginning, and it's that's one of those shops that I feel quite sad about because it's not that I went there shopping often in my youth, but mm -hmm. it was in my youth. It was kind of like the best sports shop, like that's the place to go. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's not quite that anymore. No, um, I know what you mean because um, it's um, it's had that beautiful wooden staircase and. Um, in the, my book, I've got a picture of um, people skiing. Yes, so, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, you know, Peterloo Circus isn't well known as a dry, obvious dry slope. But um, so in the 1930s, when people were um, embracing the outdoors and, and go knapsacking, they would go to Lily White's to get fitted out. And there's a, um, a picture of um, a, maybe four skiers at the right at the top of Lily White's. And there's one guy with a, a pipe in clench between his yeah. jaw and they're, they're you know they're practicing the scene you think well if you looked out of the window you'd be looking down on a really busy urban scene 
But now when you go in there, it's very kind of neon, isn't it? And bright and lots of artificial colours. And Yeah, um, but then the know. staircase is still there. I was, I was there not long ago and I kind of went, oh, hang on, look. Oh, this is a little, yeah. it's like a little bit of liberties that has snuck into yes. uh, and, a modern sports shop. Yeah, and to think of all the people who've kind of walked up and down that staircase. and yes. um, including Amy Johnson. Yes, yes. Um, so what I can't remember what she got her she got flying. her um her flying um suit um so, there and um she had it um she said she wanted it to be green because her plane Jason was green as well so and she also um because I wrote a biography of um her a while ago and she would go with her father to um Lion's Tea Shop and discuss how she was getting on in London and how things were in Hull and also she went to uh, Swan and Edgar and he mm-hmm. treated her more clothes so um yes yeah, fantastic to think that Amy Johnson was wandering around Piccadilly Circus as well and then yes. later um so flying is quite important um so Simpsons which is now the Waterstones um yes and I was gonna I was just gonna come on to them that's oh, right. perfect um so when they opened um they actually had some aeroplanes in there um because that was the great craze of the moment and so you could buy an aeroplane from simpsons i don't think anyone ever did but you could there was okay and they they deserve special mention in terms of their windows yes um, because they've still got the fabulously sort of curved glass which also heels have Yes, um, and especially designed so that you don't get a reflection. Yes, if you're looking yeah. in, you just see the products inside yeah. Yeah. without any kind of distracting reflection from the street. Yes, yeah, and uh, and they had amazing modernist um, window displays. So again, it's a kind of marriage of using um, new materials and techniques, but also thinking about art and design and beauty. Mm. Um, which uh, Simpsons did, um, and I think Waterson still does as well. Mm. Yeah, I think so. And and Simpsons were again a department store, and were they the model for Are You Being Served? I think. Well, I've, I've heard that said. I, yeah, I've heard that said, and I um, I've heard a bookseller say that it's, some of the names are named after the characters, some of the the rooms, the back room. Um, ah. rooms. And I've tried to get Waterstones to confirm that, but they're a bit tight-lipped about it. Yes. But I, I can I can see that it does make sense because it's it, it was such a huge shop, um, and with the the various characters that we remember from that sitcom as well. Yeah. Yes, and I I always associate the sitcom with kind of the the idea of the lifts and the like you know yeah. floor lingerie or whatever it <laughs> was. Um, and again, actually, in Waterstones, the bit that has sort of survived best intact in a way is the staircase and the lifts. Yeah, very yeah. lovely lifts. So um, if you were to go and visit there, nowadays they've got a nice cafe on the top floor and things, yeah. it's all very civilised. And of course, you could go and buy a fabulous book all about Piccadilly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the most appropriate place you could possibly go to buy Midge's book. Um, yes, yeah, they, I have signed a lot of copies there and they had a lovely display up, which was very nice. So, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, that makes perfect sense. Yes, thing. yes. and Hatchards as well. Yeah, Hatchard's been really supportive of it as well. And yeah. um, last time I went into Signs and Copies, it was I sold three copies to mm-hmm. tourists, okay. which is really interesting. So there was a Dutch guy who said, um, I'm really interested in Piccadilly Circus because, it, you know, it, to me, it's the centre of London. And two yeah. Americans were really interested in it. And I hadn't kind of realised the international um, awareness of Piccadilly Circus. Yes. 
I suppose, again, because of all those films and things, it is. And also during the war, uh, like yes. maybe first and second, but, you know, all the sort of songs that it crops up in the lyrics of songs and it feels like yes. that, you know, the yearning yes. for home is expressed in the yes. circus somehow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and when um, the lights... Yes, exactly. Um, nostalgia and a yearning for home, even if you don't come from London or even um, Piccadilly Circus. So, you know, but, but the song... Um, it's a long way from Tipperary, which originally was going to be it's a long way from Connemara, which doesn't exactly sound the same. But yeah. <laughs> um, that that's almost it feels like an anthem for Piccadilly Circus because you kind of belt out that line about Piccadilly, don't you? When you see yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm now just trying to go through it in my No, I can't do it while I'm thinking about it. Were you going to sing it? That would be no, no, not I wasn't gonna sing it. I was just trying to remember what the line is. My mind's gone completely it's blank by in the way. Farewell, Leicester, Leicester Square. Square. Yes. 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 Well, on on, on, a, on a farewell note, that's beautifully, beautifully structured. Um, thank you so much. Um, it's been, I, I really, I, I must admit, I haven't read it all the way through because it's been so busy with work, but I've dipped in and out and um, I, I can see there's little threads that kind of start somewhere and then reappear somewhere else. And I'm, yeah. so I'm going to come back and fill in all the gaps and... Uh, I'm looking forward to the the Lions Corner House stuff, which I haven't <laughs> got into yet. And things. So, um, I it, yeah, it's a lovely, lovely book, and much more about the people than than the place in a way. Like yes, said, so, so. yeah, I, I hope the um, the place is a character in it itself, and also the buildings mm. as well, because I think they've each got very distinctive um, characters. You know, like the Regent Palace Hotel, Frontier um, mm. Theatre, and all of those places. Yeah. And hopefully we found some stories in there that, that some of our listeners don't know already. And, you know, if, if you didn't, then go and buy the book and read it because there's a lot more in it that we haven't got to. So, Well, it's, thank it's you. been really nice talking to you. And, and it's great to talk to someone who knows London so well as well. Mm, good. Yes. And how's it, how's it going in terms of sales and things? When, when did it come out? Uh, so it came out in paperback in June. And... Okay. Um, yeah, so it's in lots of bookshops, which is fantastic because sometimes you do a book and you go into sh endless shops and you can't find it, but it is in mm. lots of books, which is wonderful. I've not asked about sales because I would rather just live hopefully. And yeah, um, yeah so um, because you, in a, in a sense, you can only do so much really. Um, yes. And yeah. Yeah, good. But it deserves to do well. Thank you, that's <laughs> very kind of you. <laughs> Lovely. Well, that was a fantastic chat. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> it was really lovely, actually. It was very, very... And it, it, um, Piccadilly Circus doesn't immediately sound like the sort of topic we would normally do because it's right in the middle of London. It's like bright lights. It's But obviously, even there, there's little stories that are less well-known. Mm. And um, yeah, really, really lovely. And I, and I, I think that's what's so great about London. I mean, a long time ago now, Emily and I did... Uh, well, it was one of Emily's weeks. We talked about Covent Garden and the huge um, sort of globe that was that was constructed there. I mean, this is like probably two years ago now. Um, and I love it that even in these places where, you know, footfall is huge and it's a very like, tourist centric. And like you say, it's not the kind of place that would automatically go, let's go there. The lovely thing about this is that when you, you dig a little bit and you find the stories yeah. of the stuff that used to be there, or maybe even like a building that is still there. And if you know how to read it and look at it, you can, you can, you can decode see stuff. what but it was. Or, yeah, yeah exactly. I th and I think that's what's so great about London is it's not just this is a square where there's lots of 
you know, American candy shops and the tourists go, there is a lot more there. And there's, well, Piccadilly, a couple of hundred years of history there. Yeah, yes. And and all the layers and all the different and and mm. the interweaving of the different sorts of people you know the sh- the sort of West End show yeah. people and the um, shoppers and the you know yeah it's yeah and of course just up from Piccadilly we have the Windmill Theatre which we did on a podcast again many moons ago um, so like you say you got the theatre folk and uh, I think we did that didn't yeah we? yeah no you did I was sure just trying yep. to. Um, <laughs> remember if it if it popped up in this one uh, i've got a a sort of memory of talking about it with someone recently but i think it might have been someone else yeah um so. but it, it's all that yeah there's so like you say so many different types of people because it is it's a it's a meeting spot well, it's, well not really a meet well i suppose it is but it's that trans transection of people coming in from different areas you've got your social and your political and your royal and your shopping but you've also got people coming in from out of town to bring their goods and all that kind of. so you, you've got this place where things are going to happen yeah. because it's almost like the meeting of oceans Absolutely. isn't it where and different, different it's like Trafalgar Square in that sense that it's also somewhere that people go spontaneously to celebrate yes and, um, yeah so it, it, is, it is one of those places that you could say it's the heart of London justifiably yeah, you know absolutely. that's a phrase that sort of often gets used but I think in this case yeah. it's, it's entirely reasonable how fascinating well that was it thank you so much Rena. thank you for holding the fort while uh while i was absolutely incapacitated um we'll be back in two weeks and uh i don't think we know yet what we're going to do then but find out in two weeks yes yes Um, now i was just having a quick look and there are Mm -hmm. there's various emails that there's a few people we're going to come back to you soon obviously we're we're just gearing up and getting going and there's a few emails that folks we will uh, reply if, if we haven't but there was one from um i think it was baz and i'm just i can't now find it but um someone one of our listeners loveliness has pointed out that sophia Duleep singh was the subject of a podcast i think it's the english heritage podcast another, another podcast, podcast. So, is that bad form what? should i that's also what also what are you doing listening to other podcasts about Wait. people that we cover? This is not okay. We're gonna revoke your membership. But I will probably go and listen to that. Yeah. Now and and now I can't this so I shouldn't have started talking about it at all because I can't find it and it's <laughs> not added. In two weeks' time we'll hopefully be more uh, uh organised. Yes. Probably not, let's face it. You you don't want that from us, do you? That's not what you're used to. Well, we're going to leave it there for this week. Thank you all for popping along. What a treat to be back and see your lovely face as well, Fiona. Yes. And uh, hopefully we will hear from some of our listeners in the next yes, couple of weeks. And, we... and yeah, please do get in touch. We're going to attempt to be back on the emails and back on the Instagram. We've left it a little bit, um, a bit lax, but you know, as you understand what's going on, so yeah. it's all good. It's all good. And also we've got, um, we've got some ideas, things that we want to talk about and people we want to talk to and things like that. But if you Myriad have any ideas, ideas as well, we'll, you know, um, we're always delighted to, to take up your suggestions if we can. And, uh, so absolutely, yeah, cool. wonderful. Thanks okay. so much, gang. We'll see Bye. you soon. Bye. Bye.